Well, we're going to read our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, do not be unequally yoked or bound together with unbelievers. Now, when he makes this statement, that's the broad statement he makes in verse 14. Now he's going to kind of elucidate a little bit more, explain a little bit more. He's going to say, and it's almost like a rhetorical where he says, for what partnership, like you should be able to understand this, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Just think about that. You can't have a partnership if you're righteous with lawlessness. Yeah, you're right. You say, yeah, that's not going to work. That's like oxen and yeah, that doesn't work. Or, or what fellowship has light and darkness? Can you think of one? No. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Yeah, Christ and Belial are going to hook up and they're going to, you know, the world. That's not going to happen. Oil and water mixture kind of thing going. It's like, you know, you can put them in the same container and everything. You're going to get things that's going to um, definitely not, um, it's definitely not going to work out. He goes on and he says, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So he's sort of, I mean, hitting the whole waterfront of possible verbs he could use, partnership, agreement, fellowship, harmony, to show that, look, when I'm talking about not being bound together with an unbeliever, I mean it. And I mean it in all nook and cranny. He just didn't say, don't even unequally yoke, and you figure out what I'm talking about with unequally yoke. He says, you should have this mentality when it comes to unbelievers, okay? On one hand, we know that in 1 Corinthians 9, we do what? We evangelize. We're we <laughs> and the sinners. Uh, you want me to mute it just mm -hmm. to the top? This one? Yeah, yeah. go no, again. Anyway, yeah, okay. Um, and so consequently, we know that we're to, um, we say, become all things to all people so that you can win some. You've got to remember that if you're going to win anybody, you've got to win them to something. And you're going to win them to what? A holy God who's a separatist. So obviously, if you're, as Christ says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, if salt has become tasteless, what do you got? You got sand in your hand. You don't have salt. Salt is a drawing factor. It should pull you to something. So you need to stand out. Your witness is something that says, I am different from you. I am separate from you. Now notice, I didn't say I am better than you. I can be better off than you because of the grace of God. But I'm not better than you. But I'm different from you. And not to be afraid of that. And not to be afraid of saying, hey, but you're, you're not being too inclusive. So what? I'm not called to be nice. I'm not called to be winsome or inclusive. I'm called to be holy, though. And so as he goes through this, notice what he says. He says in verse 16, now he's going to develop this a little bit now and show how there's a promise attached to this, because you're going to talk about these promises in chapter 7, verse 1. So and here they are. He says, for we are the temple of the living God. Now, of course, that the reason why he brings that subject up, temple, is because of what he just said in 16, where he, where he said, for what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Oh, and by the way, since I'm on that subject of temple of God, now he gets into the, the details with it and says, um, for we are the temple of the living God. So think about this, temple of the living God. And when you're the temple of the living God, there's nothing in closer proximity than the actual housing of the living God. No. Hello. So that means separation. And so he says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. Dwell in them, that's proximity. Walk among them, that's longevity with what they're doing. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wow, what a promise, huh? I'm going to be their God. That's my temple. They are aligned with me. I'm aligned with them. 
great promise here. And he's going to talk about that as a promise in chapter 7, verse 1. But it comes with a catch. And what does he say? He says, therefore, since you're in that kind of close proximity to God, and God has that kind of affinity towards you to be your God and for you to be his people, come out from their midst and be separate. So the command is to come out and be separate. It's not a matter of stay in and preach to them to come come along. No, you're going to have to get away. The proximity factor is in play here. Come out and be separate. And do not touch what is unclean. It's interesting he puts that little caveat on there. Because you think about the you know, uncleanness principle in the Old Testament. You know, if you think about it, and he even uses this example in the uh, book of Zechariah, that you could take something holy and you could press it against something and it wouldn't make the thing holy. But you could take something that's unclean and press it against something and it made something else unclean. Now, you see that in the health realm. How did Todd get your cold? <laughs> See, it, he caught her cold. Now, what happens is I'm, I'm in the epitome of health. Can I get around somebody and they catch my health? It doesn't work the other way, does it? Wow, you need to get a bunch of healthy people around this guy because he's got cancer. Maybe get a bunch of healthy people around him. He'll catch health and he'll get, overcome cancer. doesn't work that way. Or we'd have Ron already healed from his rib injuries. doesn't work. So consequently, it works the other way. And so he talks about, you not touch what is unclean. And notice, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That's interesting here. On one hand, he comes in and he says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people, in verse 16. I'm going to dwell with them. I'm going to walk with them. They're, they're, that's my temple. So we have the indicative in the sense that this is who they are. And then he turns around and puts the imperative and says, now you need to walk this way so that I will be your God and I will walk among you and you shall be my sons and I will be a father. Oh, that sounds like there's a performance involved. There sounds like that's an effect from a cause. It is. And he had that all throughout scripture. He calls us children of God. So therefore walk as children of God and I will be a father to you. Wait, I thought he was already a father. I am. See, there's the indicative. I'm already a father, you're already my sons. Now act like the sons you are, and I'm the father you are, and guess what? You'll be called sons. I thought it was already called. You are, but you need to be called that too. So you have both are in play. You're called this, and you have to earn the moniker by your walk. The two go hand in hand. And we see that with the justification, verification issue with Romans 4 and James chapter 2. You're justified by faith, and you're verified by works. I use the word verified so you don't confuse the two words justification. He's got a little bit of this here. So when he says this, Paul then makes the application in chapter 7, verse 1, and says, therefore, having these promises, beloved. Wow, what great promises. I'll be their father. They shall be my sons. I will welcome you. you be sons and daughters to me. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. It's interesting. Obviously, from this little section of scripture, which you should walk away with is, yeah, I want to be clean. And to be clean means to be separated. That's the whole point of 14 through 18. So he says, cleanse ourselves from all defilement, and covering the waterfront, flesh and spirit, inward and outward, objective and subjective, inner man, outer man, perfecting holiness. Holiness, there's that word again, separation, perfecting separation. He doesn't say in the love of God. He says in the fear of God. Because when a person becomes a Christian, you know this, 
And a person comes to the Lord Jesus. I mean, they hear all kind of truth, and God can regenerate and convert all kind of different scenarios. I've seen it. But, I mean, there's one default that you you can't get. It's, it's the bottom. It's like, in, I guess, in, in the, the music world, it's like the bass. It, you've got to have a bottom before you have anything else that comes up. And it's the most default attribute of God is that he's holy and that he won't tolerate sin. I mean, that's the whole point of the cross. It's the whole point of us being redeemed. And, and we enjoy that adoption we have, and we enjoy the fellowship we have with one another, and, and we bask in that, and we you know marvel at his mercy and grace and everything. But all of that doesn't make any sense if you don't have a bottom called the holiness of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God, where things are going to always have to be perfect in the sight of God. And so having that as a bottom and a base as we walk among him is that that should be the most default thing about us is that we have to be a people that think right thoughts, speak right words. I think of that Ephesians 4.29 passage, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Unwholesome word. He didn't say cuss word. We can line up the cuss words. You say, is that a cuss word? Yeah, that's a cuss word. Yeah, you shouldn't say that. That was a cuss word. But an unwholesome word? An unwholesome word is a good word. That's gone rancid. It's a very good word that you would use in many different contexts, but you put it in this context, and boy, you, it's like keeping meat out in the sun for two weeks, and then go look at it after two weeks. You want to get around it. You probably couldn't even get that close enough to see it because of the smell and the stench. Those kind of words. Typical good words that go south. And you can do that taking a word and putting it in a bad context, putting it in a bad attitude putting them with unbelief and putting them with anger and things of this sort, and it's gone south. Those are the unwholesome words. But that's just one area. Why do I fear having those kind of unwholesome words? Because of what Jesus says in Matthew 12. About what a man says, he will be justified, and what a man says, he will be condemned. Says. Forget the guy who's a serial killer spending 40 years in jail. This is what you say. That's right. You call the guy fool in Matthew 5? You're guilty enough to go to hell. Really? Well, that's that's a, that's kind of strict. I get it. You haven't been around the Holy God long enough because you wouldn't be saying that. Spend time around the Holy God. Trust me, you're going to start developing that taste for separating from rancid words, separating from impure thoughts, separating <laughs> from bad deeds. So these are the things we do. It propels us. And we pursue peace with all men, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And what? And the holiness without which no man will see the Lord. Holiness without which no man will see the Lord. So what we want to do this morning is spend some time in prayer asking the Lord to make us holy. On one hand, he's already made us holy through the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. There's no way we can make holiness of our own and get God to like it. Think about that. Give up on that endeavor. There's nothing, nothing you're going to be able to come in his presence and offer that he's going to accept. Now, we know that, we say that, but you know what that means? You know why he says that? Because he's holy, because he's separate. And when you realize that, you know, I didn't know he was that separated. He's that separate. Isaiah caught a little wind of that in Isaiah 6. He gets up there. You know it's the first thing he notices when he sees God on his throne high and lifted up? You know, the first thing it says in Isaiah 6, and I love this. He says, he didn't say, in the year 605 B.C., I saw the Lord. No, no, no. In the year of King Uzziah's death, there's a separation. Here's a guy who doesn't have life. He's the king. If anybody had his life pampered and going to be protected to be the king, dead in the ground, 
pushing up daisies, worm food. And here's God, nowhere near that. What a contrast, separation between me and King Uzziah. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Yep, ain't nobody else high and lifted up. Everybody else is what? Low and in the ground. And the first thing he sees, he sees these angelic beings around God. And you know what they're doing? They're separated. They can't see him. They've got the hands, they got the wings over their face. And what's all that? We're not like him. That's what we're trying to tell you, Isaiah. Welcome to heaven, where everything's separated from God. Not in hell, but there's separation. There's a separation principle in heaven that you see. And he looks around and says, uh, I don't feel right being here. I'm not separated. I mean, I feel the separation, but my goodness, I feel undone. Exactly right. This is a strange foreign environment for you, Mr. Prophet now. This isn't Mr. Dagon worshiper. And God has to come and cleanse his mouth from the impurity of just impurity, his mouth. This is the prophet who speaks the words of God and he feels impure. And God has to cleanse it. So the whole point, bring bring it down to to um the cookies on the bottom shelf for us this morning is for us to pray. Ask the Lord to help us this morning. Help us to have a, a sense of his holiness. And it's not a sense that he's holy and we're not as much as we're holy in Jesus Christ. So that when you recognize that I'm in Christ and that I'm going to be accepted 100%, Christ and Christ alone is what makes me holy. And if he calls me holy, I'm holy because nobody else is going to trump what God calls you're not going to out-dictionary God on the, on the definitions. And if he says you're holy, you're holy. But here's the, the flip side. If he calls you holy, then you need to walk in holiness. You need to cleanse yourself of flesh and spirit. You need to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. Because on Judgment Day, that's exactly what's going to be in play. You see in the book of Revelation, these people aren't asking for the rocks and mountains to follow them because they're seeing the love of God in, in full swing here. They're seeing and they're experiencing and being summoned into the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, as the seraphim would say. And you are holy. Now, if I put a little intrepidation into your heart, well, that's part of 7-1, perfecting it in the fear of God. On the other hand, give you, give you some hope is that it's already been perfected in Jesus Christ. And this is who we are. So let's worship. Let's praise the Lord. Let's seek his face this morning. I'll close this in prayer. Feel free to pray. And um, when we're done, we'll, um, we'll take our break. Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you that you are God. You are holy and you are righteous. You've revealed yourself as such to us, Lord. These things are so clear. Uh, Lord, you are good, merciful, and gracious to sinners like us, Lord. We, the word says that we have the mind of Christ, yet, Lord, we, 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 it's not perfected in us, Lord. We don't always judge things rightly. Um, Lord, many, many, in many ways we err, in many ways with our flaws, in many ways with our judgments. Lord, I pray you give us clarity in these things. Cause us to walk in, in, in unity, but cause us to believe the truth. Pray. There are divisive things in this area, and we know, we've discussed them, we know where we need to stand as far as your word is concerned. Father, help us to see 
the wickedness of this present age that we live in, and all of its tentacles that reach into every part of our lives and, and uh, every part of where we work, every part of what we watch, where we, every part of who we live with, and our families, our neighbors, our co-workers. Father, give us great wisdom in these things. We pray for our brethren, dear Father, who preached your word for many years, who may be on the wrong side of some of these issues as far as the lesbian and sodomite and transgender stuff. Lord God, I do pray for Alistair Bennett. Father, help that, brother. I pray you'd help him through this whole thing. I pray, Father, that some would think I'm wrong. I pray that he would repent of his position, dear Father, and come to see the clarity of your word as it is. Lord God, you can care for him. What a trial this must be to the church there, to his family. And then, Father, I, I pray that the mind of Christ would be manifested in this through the church all across America and in the world for such an influential man taking such a what appears to be a wrong position. Father, give him grace. Cause him to repent. Cause him to make things right uh, with, with, with word and truth. Father, I pray that those of us in this church, Lord, who may be of not the right mind in these areas or perhaps too far or not far enough. We really, really, really need this one. We don't want to err here. Father, uh, we, we want to um, Father be right in the wrong in the right way, not in the wrong way. Father God, your word is so clear as certain sins prima facie, Lord, at the first glance and all the way through are just sin. No matter what color you try to sodomy and transgenderism, forsaking the, the whole order of creation and slap in your face where folks don't want to be what you created them to be is egregious, Lord. And I pray you, you'd help us to know all the facets of that. Cause folks that have stood for years on the faithfulness of the scriptures that once they have a family member or someone that they love go into this sin, they have a change in conviction. Keep us free from the fear of men. Keep us free from the fear of opinions of others. Help us, Lord, to make tough decisions in, in these areas that are so pervasive in our culture. <coughs> Your word says these things are destructive and predatory and never satisfied. And Lord, and just wicked and evil in and of themselves. Help us, Lord. Give us wisdom and grace to know these things. Help us to honor you, Lord. And in, in dealing with folks in these egregious sins, Lord, such were some of us, perhaps, Lord. And by your grace, by your love, by your mercy, you drew us. You drew those maybe among us who, who uh, wrestle with this nature of sin, dear Father. And, and, and I pray you be, be merciful to us as well merciful to these folks, Lord. May many be converted, but soundly converted, and not seek to be tares in, in the midst of weep and the people. Father, I pray you help us, give us grace and wisdom in these areas. I pray in Jesus' name.
Jesus, I want to thank you for all your great, great mercies. Praise your name and come on the congregation. Give a witness of your grace. Thank you, Father. You're so sovereign. You're precise, Father, in your dealings with us. Thank you so much for your goodness and your mercies, Father. Thank you for local assemblies, Father, that we can grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. And thank you for some of the resources that you give us. Don't forgive us to you know, take more advantage of, of all the resources we have to learn and grow in the things of God. Thank you for the assembly, Lord. A place, Father, in our body, all over. There's mutuality of loving and caring for people as they love and care for us. Father, it pleases you Father, to see your, your people love one another. I want to thank you, Father, for forgiveness through your blood over the many transgressions that we we transgress in and Father or deed, Lord, that your blood, Father, literally washes them, Father, from our conscience, Father, to help us to Lord, face our, our lives toward Christ, Lord, and have your spirit lead us and guide us, Father, in the steps and the ways that you would have us go. We thank you for the word of God, Lord, that is clear and precise, Lord, to live among a time, Father, where there's so much confusion, so much uh, things going on, it's just, just not right before your eyes, Lord, help us not to be like those in the judges that they did what's right in their own eyes Lord, that we do have the truth set before us to walk in and you give us your spirit to sustain us and strengthen us to walk in that when you're giving us your words so that we might walk with understanding and wisdom and discernment Lord, so that we don't look to the left or the right falling for our keys but we look straight ahead to christ Lord, thank you again for all you your wisdom, Lord, in each of our lives, and your wisdom, Father, in life. You are the Lord of history, and we thank you, Father, that Lord, you've given us so much. Help us be a people that's pleasing and honoring you, Father. For there is no other name, Lord, Jesus. Lord Jesus, blessed Jesus. Thank you for revealing him to us, Lord, and causing us to love him through life and through death. Father, we come into your presence, we bow our knees before you, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We dare not come into your presence apart from that name. We have no name. While every family on earth has derived its name from you, that's not the name we come into your presence with. It's the name of Christ and him alone. We thank you, Father, that he is our holiness, our standing before you. Father, we seek to worship you and give you praise and honor and glory. While we have any requests and supplications and things we want to intercede with you on behalf of seeking your face that you would give mercy and grace in time of need and give these gifts, Father, to ourselves and our lost loved ones. Father, we don't start with that. We're mindful, Father, those things glorify you. It magnifies you being the great benefactor 
of all of creation. But Father, apart from creation, you're holy and you're altogether lovely and glorious. And we want to be able to, Father, come into your presence and just extol your marvelous, wonderful being that you have revealed to us. Apart from anything that we might need or ask you for, that we're here to worship you, casting crowns down before you, blessing you, thanking you, Lord, for all the things that you have done. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. And we just want to take in that beatific vision of who you are in your son, Jesus Christ, and just bask in that. You know, we've got needs, and we've got daily breads we need, and forgiveness we need to extend, and strength we need to fight against temptations and stuff. But, but for the moment, we just want to worship you and thank you and glorify your great name. And in light of this passage, Father, <clears throat> that we've read, uh, we seek to be a separate people, to not be unequally yoked, to not be bound together with unbelievers and we become defiled. We seek to separate from that. We seek, Father, to embrace those promises of not just separating and living like a monk somewhere and having people look at us as being a separatist in and of itself. What good is that? that? People see us moving from one side to the Lord's side, being in your bosom, being connected to you. We're mindful, Father, that the command to be unequally yoked is also coupled with that command to cleanse ourselves. And Father, you know that in our not just duty to cleanse ourselves, but in our efforts, many times we will throw out the baby in the bathwater. We will go and cleanse scorched earth on everything around us. And people can be heard, and we can do things in a legalistic way, and we can do things in such a way, Lord, that um, people are actually repelled from coming to you. We don't want to do that, Lord. But definitely keep us from the other extreme of leaving the baby in the bathwater. And there's no cleansing at all. Help us, Father. Give us the wisdom we need to know how not to be bound together in such a way. Now we can eat with the tax gatherers and the sinners, but we don't collect taxes with the tax gatherers and sin with the sinners. Help us to know where those lines are drawn. And help us to not be afraid to draw a line when we're in the midst of their company and it moves from humanity to depravity. And, so, and we say we can't be a participant of this. This is wrong. This is evil. This is something God will not participate in. Help us to be bold like that. It might cost us our lives like it did Antipas in Pergamum, or Peter and Paul in Rome, whatever it might be. But so be it. We've given up our lives when we first became Christians and took up the cross. And we thank you for that, Father. So help us, Father. Give us a backbone. 
Give us one to be able to stand firm, but give us a tender heart, Father, to be able to, uh, to be like our great high priest, as it says in Hebrews 7, 26, for it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That same high priest in chapter 4, that separated from sinners, is also sympathetic toward our weaknesses. So help us, Father, to have that balance of sympathy on one hand, separate separation on the other, and be able to walk, Father, with the wisdom of Christ, so that, Father, we would, once again, in fear, perfect holiness in your sight, so that Christ would be honored and glorified. We love you, and we thank you. Be with us in the rest of our meeting. For it's in Christ's great name we pray. Amen.